Hello and welcome to Read All About It, the podcast where people talk about their favourite and not-so-favourite books. Join me, Paul Cuddihy, as I take each guest on the literary journey of their life, from their most cherished childhood read and a book they'd recommend to anyone, to the book they couldn't be paid to read again, and much more in between. So listen, enjoy, subscribe and spread the word about the Read All About It podcast. Hello and welcome to the Read All About It podcast, and I'm delighted to introduce my latest guest, who is the writer Katrina Child. Katrina was born in Dundee and now lives in Edinburgh. She studied English at the University of Aberdeen and then completed an MA with distinction in creative writing from Lancaster University. Over the years, she has variously worked as a postie in a cinema and in a music shop, while she has also spent a great deal of her youth ploughing up and down swimming pools, which might give some clues to the two novels she has published to date. Her first novel, Trackman, which was published in 2012, has a main character who works in a music shop, and the Herald described it as having, quote, all the makings of a cult hit. And Trackman is a magical tale of love and loss, music and memories, hope and forgiveness. Two years later, her second novel, Swim Until You Can't See Land, came out. And in the novel, a 21-year-old Hannah, who's one of the main characters, is forced to give up her professional swimming career. Facing an empty future, she meets Marielle and is astonished to learn of her courage as a World War II agent in occupied France. Katrina, welcome to the Read All About It podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me on. Now, I just mentioned your, your two novels there, and I'm going to have to acknowledge that Mr Google gave me a hand <laughs> That's okay. the title of your second novel, but um, you're obviously very much into music. That comes from a, a title of a, a song by the band Frightened Rabbit. Yeah, that that's right? right. Yeah, so um, I just love Frightened Rabbit. Me and my husband discovered them as a support band, actually. We went to see... I can't even remember who it was they were supporting. It was somebody who's really unknown now, and we just thought they were amazing, and then we kind of followed them and followed them as they got bigger and bigger. I didn't have a title for my second novel, and I was just listening to them one day and that song came on and it just seemed to fit kind of organically with the story. It's all about kind of these two women who have, things have happened to them that are kind of out with their control and they've lost the path that they had planned out for themselves and they've been set off on a different path and it's all about that kind of just swimming until you can't see land, going into the unknown and just trying to, to keep going in kind of adverse circumstances, so yeah. Because I do like, I mean this quite literally is a t- title that sings to you, but I do like if somebody, it's a band you like or a song you like, and then you see it in a book in a different form, and it always, that always catches my eye. Yeah, no, it's, it's just, it's a nice, Swim Until You Can't Stand, it's just a nice phrase anyway, I think, and it's a great song. Um, my kids, my, my husband's been playing the Emma Pollock, I don't know, she did a, a cover album of Scottish songs recently and she sings Swim Until You Can't See Land on it and he's been playing it to my kids and they've been going around the house singing it which is quite funny because right. I don't think they realise that I've written a book with the same title. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's quite cool actually and when they, when they get to that age when they realise yeah. that that'll be quite nice yeah. as well, that will kind of all click into place. Yeah. So. I mean I mentioned Trackman as, as your first novel, music's very much at the heart of that but just in terms of, of being a writer, can you still remember what the, what it was like, the thrill of actually holding that book as a, as a published book in your hands for the first time? Yeah, I didn't actually. I don't think I really believed it until I held it in my hand. I remember I didn't tell anybody that it was coming out, really, because I was scared of jinxing it, whereas right. I should have been saying to people, because all that, I try to get people to buy it when it came out. But I was so kind of nervous that it was all going to fall apart because it just seemed like a kind of a dream come true. I remember going to the publishers. I had to leave my work just to go and, and see them and then bringing it back on the bus and then texting my family and sending pictures of it. And, yeah, it was very exciting. So was that a surprise then for them? Because you hadn't really spread the world far yeah, away. Yeah, well, I, I had told my kind of immediate family that this was happening, um, but, like, friends and things I hadn't really said. And I'm always a bit 
scared of jinxing things by saying it out loud, so yeah. Because one of the things I've found, and you probably found it the same, is whenever you've published a book, your family, I mean, there's this just immense pride. I mean, I remember my first novel came out and my mum telling me she was in just the post office queue and just talking to some random woman in the queue and, and just obviously just manufacturing the conversation <laughs> to say, my son's just brought out a book. And you think, that's so lovely because... And it'll be the same thing for, for me and obviously for you. If, if your kids end up doing anything that you... You just have this overwhelming pride and want to, want to share it with everyone. Yeah, no, definitely. I think my, my dad's definitely like that with us. Um, and like my sister as well, when she does her athletics, he's always just dropping it into random conversation that, yeah, that I've written a book and my other sister's an athlete, so... Yeah, I mean, yeah. I suppose then for people who don't know, your sister has... Oh, Ailey, really, yeah. And she has won medals the very highest yeah, level uh, running for Scotland and for Great Britain yeah yeah. so she's a 400 metre hurdlist she's out at the moment because she's just had a wee baby um, but yeah she's won medals Commonwealth medals she's got an Olympic medal so she has yeah competed at, at the highest level so I think and quite nice I think probably for your parents that you know that achievement's in completely different fields yeah, that you know yeah. on the one hand she's you know in that sporting side of things I touched the fact that you were obviously swimming when you were younger, yeah. but, younger but then they have these books and they can go in a bookshop and they see your book with your name on it and as a parent that must be, be great for yeah, them. Yeah, no, I think so. They've always been very supportive. Like, I remember even I was doing, when Trackman first came out, I did a, a festival and I was doing a book event at the festival and I was on at the same time as Ian Rankin so I had no hope of anybody coming to see me and my mum was like outside the tent just forcibly dragging people in I think. She's like, come <laughs> in and listen to my daughter. That's brilliant, I love that. <laughs> so yeah, so they've always been, been really supportive, yeah. That's great. Obviously, in the course of the, the podcast, we may find out what, in terms of your writing, what you're what you're working on now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously, the idea of this is just to kind of take you back through your the literary journey of, of yeah. your life. And the first book that I always ask people to choose is their, their favourite book from childhood. Yeah, this was a really difficult choice actually because I I read so much when I was a kid. I read loads and loads and loads, and I remember my granny saying to me that you could tell that I was just desperate to learn to read for myself from a very early age because I just wanted to be able to read. And um, I could have chosen a lot of things, I think, for this one. I almost went with the Famous Five because I read all those, you know, Famous Five, um, Roald Dahl, all those kind of classic authors when I was younger. And the Famous Five was the first book I ever got out of the library. And I remember right. my dad taking me to the library. And I was and you just, still remember that? Yeah, I yeah. remember that vivid memory of... And I didn't know what to choose because I was just overwhelmed by all the choice. And yeah. my dad was like, oh, the Famous Five are quite good. Um <laughs> And I was like, well, I don't know which one to choose because there's like a whole row of them. And he was like, well, just choose the first one and then see how you get on. So I did. And then I remember going back and just working my way through the entire series. So I almost kind of went with that because that kind of set me off on my reading journey, I suppose. Because the librarian actually said to my dad that I was her best customer, apparently, because I would just devour books. And that's why I'm always like big up libraries so much because they're so important. And I would never have been able to have read... The, the like the wealth and quantity of books that I read if it wasn't for my yeah. my local library so um, I would always champion libraries because it always um, it's always my worry that it's one of those things that people won't appreciate them until they're gone yeah that's the thing yeah and they're they're just so much more than and nowadays as well with getting access to the internet and newspapers and being able to do your CV and things on the computers it's just there's just such a kind of they're so important and as I said I don't think I would be the reader or the writer that I am today if it wasn't for my local library and everywhere I've lived wherever I've lived I've always tried to find a library and a swimming pool wherever I've been right. as long as Twin I've got passions. access to a library and a swimming pool then I'm usually okay with, with what's going on But um, that ties in nicely with yeah, uh, the so book you've chosen the book that I actually chose is called Alex um, by Tessa 
Dader and it's about um, a teenage girl who's a, a really, really good swimmer in New Zealand and she is trying to qualify for the Olympics. Um, and I, th- I think the author herself was actually a swimmer. Um, she swam for New Zealand. So it's set in New Zealand and it's it's at the end, I think it's the 60s it, it's set in. And she's just a great character. She's so strong and she's so brave and she's so loyal and she's just this ordinary girl but she's got obviously this kind of extraordinary talent and it's just trying to deal with being a girl and being a normal girl at the same time you've got this kind of pressure on your shoulders and then dealing with your family who are all wanting you to do well but, and then she also... She wants to fit in at school and because she's a swimmer she's got kind of these big shoulders and she's got short hair and so a lot of the girls bully her and say she's a lesbian because she doesn't look like a proper girl should. She's muscly and she's strong and I think it's just... The swimming's almost like a secondary story to her just trying to survive and be a girl at the same time and the chapters all start with a kind of a bit in italics and it's the race, so it's the qualifying race for the Olympics. So each chapter is preceded by this little bit and the race kind of... It's a drip feed of information through the book as to how this race goes on as she gets on through the book. And it's also got about three quarters through. It's also got one of the saddest things that, that I've ever read in a book. And right. I just cried my eyes out when I read it. And it, it's one of those things that every time I read this book, I don't want to make it happen. I'm like, I don't, I don't, how could you do that? So what age would you authors. have been when you first read it? Then? I, I think I was probably maybe primary seven or something like that. But I read it uh, numerous times kind of over my teenage years. And there's actually, it's the first in, in a quartet of books. But this has always been my favourite one, just that, that first one about Alex. Because I noticed I did, I did check up on, I hadn't been familiar with the book. And Tessa Duda did... I think she won a silver medal at the, the 1958 Commonwealth Games swimming for New Zealand. Okay, yeah. But I was also wondering if, you know, again, I, when I was looking on your website and, and it did mention the fact that you did do a lot of swimming when yeah. you were younger, and was that one of those books that you stumble upon that obviously it's your love of books, but then you, you find a book about a subject that and, and an interest in a sport that you're, you're really into? Yeah, definitely. So I was a competitive swimmer for... I can't even remember learning to swim. I just always remember being able to swim, and I... I yeah. I kept it going up until university and even when I left university I still took part in races. Um, I don't do that anymore because I'm not fit enough but it's something that has just always been with me and and I've got so many friends from when I was swimming and I I wasn't at any way, shape or form the Olympics at standard but I just really, really enjoyed it and it's always been something that I find kind of de-stresses me like every so often I just feel I need to go and pound the pool a little bit just to kind of work things through and and sort things out in my head and... So I just love swimming. So yeah, finding a book about someone who who loved swimming as well, and yeah, just that sort of loyalty and that strong teenage character. Yeah, it really appealed to me at that age. Yes. And is that the sort of book? Obviously, you've mentioned that you read it for the first time when you're in primary seven, but then you've you've read it at various times, and yeah, and it still has the same impact. But is that is it one of those books that you've got it in your head that when your kids get to a certain age that you want to introduce it to them? But will it be with trepidation because yeah, I think so. it, it means so much? to It you? means so much to me, but I also think because even to me, right, reading it kind of in the late eighties, probably early nineties, and it was set in like kind of late fifties, sixties. That even that there's the kind of like a distance to it, so I don't not even to them it's an even bigger distance like trying to get in the the head of her so yeah and I don't know like they go to swimming lessons at the moment so I don't know if even if swimming will be as big Mm -hmm. a thing for them as it was for me either so it's funny the the book in the very first podcast episode and and Chris Dolan who was the the guest and he kind of turned the tables on me and asked me one of my my books and and my book from childhood was Master of Morgana which I'd read round about the same age primary seven and couldn't wait to for the teacher to finish it went to the library etc and maybe about four or five years ago, I was invited along to a primary school, and it was 
part of their literacy week mm-hmm. and they wanted the adults to come along and talk to the kids about their favourite books just to try yeah. and show that reading was actually a really positive thing. So I'd taken this book along, spoke about it and read a wee bit and at the end one of the pupils had actually wanted to know what else was going to happen and ended up leaving the book just as part of the classroom library and that really, really, that was the highlight for me because well, I thought that's then passing that on. So I, th- I think a good book will transcend yeah. different generations, I think. Yeah, I hope so. Because I, I, another book that I really enjoyed from my childhood was The Faraway Tree, the Enid Blyton stories. And yeah, I was reading yeah. them at night to my daughter, and then some of it I was like, oh, actually. <laughs> 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 it's still good, but there's bits in it, and all like, the names of the characters and everything. I was yeah. like, you know. Yeah, yeah there's, probably, there's probably a few questions. And I was, there's a few sentences where I was like, oh, and I started calling one of the characters Franny, just because I was like, I can't I can't say your real name over and over again. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to explain to my daughter why, why I am. So, yeah. Like, I've always wanted to write a swimming book myself, and every time I tried, it just was like a, a parody of Alex. So when I wrote Swim Until You Can't See Land, I kind of turned it on its head a little bit, and it was a character who was a swimmer, but for various reasons had to give up their career to try and show how much it's meant to them and how much like, they don't realise how much it's meant to them until they've kind of lost it and, and they can't get it back. So Is that the idea that the starting point is, you know, sometimes the advice is write what you know, but then you, that's just your starting point? Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. And very much, you know, obviously you then take it in a completely different direction. It's just that one link that anchors you to, yeah. to maybe the knowledge of swimming, yeah. but then you then go off as a novelist, to tell a completely different yeah, story. Yeah, no, I would definitely say that. I always try and have a little kind of kernel of something that I can pin onto, and then I go off. I kind of like that what if, you know, that, the, the Stephen King book on writing when he talks about the what if idea of yeah. what if this happened and what if that happened, and it just takes you off on, on a journey. And it, I always try to write about ordinary people but in extraordinary circumstances. I think that's what I try and write, so... And, and mentioning that Stephen King book, I always think that for anybody who, who is a writer and wants to be a writer... That should be one of the starting points of yeah, books to read. Yeah, it's a brilliant book. And because the thing was, um, I loved Stephen King at school and I read Stephen King all the time. And I remember get, I got a prize in first year, I think, at school, uh, which is the only academic prize I ever got. <laughs> and they gave you a voucher and you had to go and buy a book and bring it into the prize giving. And then they presented you with this book at the prize giving. So I went off with my voucher and I bought... Um, Carrie by Stephen King <laughs> and when I brought it into the prize game and I realised everybody else had bought like dictionaries and encyclopedias and stuff and mine was the only like the fiction book she was they just, yeah they just kind of <laughs> put it on the pile and handed it to me and I think and I used to get told off for reading too much Stephen King at school and reading too much point horror books but then when I went to university to do my creative writing MA they were like study this book by Stephen King it's brilliant it tells you like all these things that you need to know so exactly um, and also you know even while we, we wouldn't have realised at the time you know, the very fact he's writing books that millions of people devour, he obviously knows what he's doing. Yeah. So if you want to be a writer, even, you know, subconsciously you're yeah. learning from that. Yeah, no, and even if you don't want to write maybe what he's writing, then, yeah, you can learn so much anyway. And, yeah, that uh, last your last podcast I listened to when you were talking about 11, 22, 63, yeah, that, I loved that book as well. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. So I was glad that that was brought up. Well, we take you on from your favourite book from childhood and then go into the kind of teenage university, more formative years, and it is you know, a, a great Scottish book by a, a great Scottish writer. Yeah, so I went for The Crow Road by Ian Banks, which I actually came to because of the TV show, so it was a little, a couple of years later than the book came out. I think I was 16 at the time, and I must admit it was purely down to Mr McFadden <laughs> and his doe-eyes. Do- 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 I thought that was a great series. <laughs> it was I, a great I, I really series, enjoyed yeah. the series, having read good. the book first. Yeah, uh, yeah I went, I'm one of these people who if I watch a film or a TV show that I really love and I find out there's a book, then I automatically go and seek right, out the book. Right. How Just, does that compare there as an experience? Oh, well, the book's always better, I would say. Yeah. And I think there's very few 
even if you've watched the film or yeah, the TV I would series say so. Yeah, 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 I would say so. Sometimes it, it hinders you because you kind of have someone like an actor or a voice in your head from the film that you maybe can't shake. And in terms of the chronology, was that a good thing? The fact that it, it was Joe so. Fad that yeah, you get well, pictures. I know. I remember that first. I'm sure the first thing you, you had a Nirvana T-shirt on as well, and I was really into kind of Nirvana and everything. I was like, oh, who is this? What is this? So, and I remember actually going to a party at someone's house, and they had the same copy. For those of you that can't see, I've actually got a copy of The Crow Road here and it's got Joe McFadden on the front and they had the same copy and I remember saying, oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's really good. And she said, oh, I've not actually read very much of it because I just keep staring at Joe McFadden on the front of the book. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know how many other teenage girls of that point kind of... <coughs> Ian Banks was probably... Had a big crush on him. Yeah. You know, rubbing his hands in glee at the time. <laughs> um, so what is it about The Crow Road then, well, in particular? it just, for me... I didn't realise that you could write books about Scotland like that, I think. I think for me that was a bit of a revelation in that it was, you know, a lot of people of kind of my generation say that, you know, train spotting kind of turned them around about how books in Scotland can be set. But I think for me it was Ian Banks. I, I read train spotting a bit later than everybody else. And up until that point I had tried to kind of write books and write, try to write stories. And I'd always written things like Wuthering Heights parodies and like Jane Austen because that was to me what books were and what classic books were yeah. and what important books were and it was only when I read this I was like oh hang on a second you can write a book and it can be in Scotland and it can be set in modern day times and it can have swearing and sex and all these things in it and and it's just yeah it's just brilliant and it, it just appealed to me on so many levels I think because the characters in it were just a couple of years older than me they were at university my apprentice was at university and um, someone said to me once that children's books you should always read kind of like about characters who are a few years older than you because you're kind of seeing yourself in the future. Yeah. And I think to me that was, I was seeing kind of him at university and going out and drinking and doing all this stuff. And I was like, oh, that's my future. And it's kind of, you're a bit nervous about it, but at the same time it's exciting to think that's kind of what's coming to you. But also just the whole mystery of it, like Uncle Rory, what happened to him? There's that whole, like, I need to keep reading because I need to find out what happened to Uncle Rory. And then the structure of it, it's, you know, it's, there's flashbacks and there's bits that Rory's written and yeah it's just trying to kind of piece together the mystery at the same time as, as Prentice and actually in my copy of the book as well there's this whole unrequited love thing and uh, when I was 16 I, I underlined that line eating my heart out consuming my soul because I was like oh that's just so so good <laughs> and now I'm like well it's a bit kind of adolescent angst but at the time I was like oh that's that's what it's like yeah for me when you see that then even before you've become a published writer, you, that's almost the actions of a writer, that you, beyond the story, you're, you're seeing like specific sentences and phrases jump out at you to the point where you're underlining yeah. them and, and they stick with you and they resonate with you. Yeah, well, yeah, I always I used to write lines out and stick them on the wall and stuff from books and things. And also as well, because it's partly set, it's, it's kind of fictional, but it's also set in Argyll and it mentions Connell and Oban. And uh, my dad grew up in Connell, his mum and his dad had a bed and breakfast there and so it mentions like Connell and it mentions the airfield at Connell so I think as well I was also like oh these are places that I actually know as well and that I know from my childhood I, I must admit I never ever put any markings in it <laughs> so I would take notes but I would never yeah mark actually mark yeah but also I, in, in a way that's just a personal thing but I think sometimes particularly if you're looking back at that book you've had for for a few years now even just seeing that line underlined in your market, then it must take you back to, yeah, to when you were that age, age and, and the first time you read that and scramble about for a pen to say, I, I need to mark that. Yeah, and yeah, it's that line of yeah, what it's like to be a teenager in, in unrequited love. and yeah. And When I moved to Edinburgh, actually, Ian Banks, I used to see him all the time, especially when I worked in Virgin Megastore. I used to come into the shop all the time and I used to always be like, oh my God, it's a celebrity. Uh, I used to get so excited uh, when he came in, yeah. It was, 
in terms of his other books, where I mean, did that then take you on to, to read the rest of his? Yeah, his work? I've not read all of them. There's so many of them, but I've read a few of them. I've read Espadier Street and uh, The Wasp Factory, and yeah, so I've, I've I've read quite a few. I mean, with Espadier Street in particular, again, is with your the interest music, in, in yeah. music, did that yeah, kind of yeah, no, I really either like resonate it. with you, but also inspire you because you know, obviously, music's such a big part of your life. And then also a big part of your first novel. Yeah, definitely. You know, music has yeah, meant a great deal to me. And I think it's like these sort of teenage books. I think the music that you listen to as a teenager always stays with you as well and it always means more to you yeah. than anything else. There's like albums that I listened to when I was a teenager that I can recite all the lyrics for. And even though I love like a new album today, I would never listen to it with that in kind of intensity that I would as a teenager. And yeah. I suppose that's when your whole world. life yeah. revolves around music and books. Yeah, and you just shut yourself away in your room and read and listen to music. And yeah. I mean, have you read his science fiction books? I don't as, think as I have, well? actually, but I, I don't know why, because I do like science fiction books as well. I, I mean, I don't really have any kind of genre book that I wouldn't, I wouldn't read, so it's just funny, so I'm, many books. I'm, I'm not a, a science fiction reader, and I've spoke to a couple of people who aren't either, but because they, they love Ian Banks, they, they would read the Ian M. Banks books as well. And that, again, once you get beyond the genre and set aside, they're actually really... Yeah. really well told stories yeah I think like with this podcast there's all these books that you then have to go and read afterwards after listening I know, to tell it. me about it <laughs> <laughs> there'll, be, there'll be some more from today I'm sure <laughs> well you're listening to the Read All About It podcast with me Paul Cuddy and my guest the writer Katrina Child and Katrina we're on to your third book, it's a book you would recommend to anyone. I'm not sure whether you're going to tell me the title or sing me the, the theme tune to the film. <laughs> well, I've got a terrible singing voice, so <laughs> I won't um, yeah, do that to you. But it's Watership Down by Richard Adams, which I, I feel like it's just been a book that has been kind of ever-present for me throughout my entire life. So I read it first. I remember writing a book review on it in Primary 7 and drawing pictures of... I didn't actually do much writing, I just drew a picture of the rabbit. And then I read it again at university, just as a bit of escapism, just because I was kind of getting bogged down with all these kind of books that I had to read for class. And then I read it again later on. I must have read it, I don't know, I've read it loads and loads of times now. But I think I'd recommend it to anybody because I think you can read it on so many different levels. Like, I think it can appeal to children as just a straightforward kind of adventure story, whereas you can read it as an adult as well and you can get something different out of it. It's no... It feels like almost like a dream when you go inside it. It's so like kind of surreal and it's almost hypnotic. There's this kind of ethereal quality to it, and there's so many layers to it. I did read though that his daughter said that it's just a story about rabbits. <laughs> and I was like, but it's not. <laughs> Even though you're his daughter's and he wrote it for you, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, there's so many layers to it, and it's a fairly damning indictment on the human race as well. I think if you kind of step inside the heads of these rabbits and you look out on the human race, they say, I, I, I marked some passages in it that I thought were examples of that, where they basically say, men will never rest till they spoiled the earth and destroyed the animals. And I'm like, well, that's probably true. I mean, that's almost prophetic. Yeah, you, well, you that's that. the thing. I mean, you think about how many, yeah, how many years you wrote it, and it is true. And it was making me think of that, I can't remember what Burns' poem it is, where he says, if we only had the power to see ourselves as others see us. And it's almost like, like that kind of idea, like you're looking out. And and it's also just getting away from this kind of superiority thing that we have as humans, that we are the superior race and, and everything else is below us. Because these animals, the rabbits in it, they have their own kind of cultures, they have their own stories and their own traditions, and they, they sit in the burrow and they tell each other stories and folk tales. And it's, it's like us, kind of like how you pass on stories. And they've got their own cultures and traditions and their own religions their own language and 
I think that's why I love it so much. It's just so rich and there's just so much to it. It's interesting because when when you sent me through your choices, I mean, it came to that book and, and in my head it's, you know, it's a, a children's book and I remember the film... The, I think uh, the film freaked a lot of people out. Uh, a film called yeah. Bright Eyes. <laughs> and so at first I was looking back through and thinking, have you got these in the right order? But actually, you know, particularly listening to you talking about it, it intrigues me because I, I have not read that book since probably at the time when the, the film came out. Yeah. I remember going to see the film and obviously everybody knows the song. Yeah. But it's in- interesting then to be able to go back. That's what again what I love about the podcast that then people will say, "What about this book?" and then explain why and why you should approach it again yeah, as an adult. Yeah, go back to it. Yeah, I think I think yeah, you can definitely get so much out of it. And I I think I just get something different every time I read it. And it's got all. I mean, it's got quotes at the start of each chapter from different people and like actually like Shakespeare and all sorts of things. It's so rich and. I, used, I became a bit obsessed with it as well like with the Crow Road I, I actually memorised passages of it the whole bit about all the world will be your enemy Prince of a Thousand Enemies and I memorised it and I, I wrote out passages and stuck it on my wall and things so yeah I became a wee bit obsessed with it but because yeah, obviously people know the, the film but it, it was recently in the last couple of years it was remade yeah it was remade and I I didn't actually, I didn't watch it. I, I was going to watch it, and then I think I actually, I think it is, they did save it on on our Skybox, but I don't think I ever got round to watching it. I did love the the, the film as well. I was a bit scared too, just in case they, it didn't live up to kind of what I thought. So because when I, when you sent me the, the the choice, and obviously I know Art Garfunkel's song, but I actually went and listened to the <laughs> Sam Smith song from the, the most recent one. Oh, okay. Just to, to compare them, but obviously Art Garfunkel's is is the better song. I, I know. I, I, I don't know, I really like that song. I know some people think it's a bit cheesy, but I think it still kind of has the power to... It's interesting when you were talking about the book and how within, you know, rabbits would have their own culture, their own, the the way they live. I'm not sure if you... It it reminded me of a book, uh, I was just checking there, about (laughs) the author, it's called The Bees by Laleen Paul. Okay. I picked it up in a bookshop in in St Andrews, actually, and it was one of those ones where, you know, that way you're glancing at the back cover, and as soon as I read it, the idea was so clever, it's just... It's set within the hive okay, culture, right. and it's about you know the 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 hierarchy of the hive, and she's obviously done a lot of studying into how that works. But then there's obviously somebody who's trying to rebel against that. But all the characters are bees. Well, that does sound interesting. And yeah. you're totally yeah. in that world, and it sounds trying to explain it to somebody. And people have looked at me skeptically, and I said, once you read it, she's done it so well, and it's so well researched. And then you do realise that there is this whole world, and how that works. It's not random that. Yeah. That, that that world of bees works the way it does. It's I, I would say particularly I'm when you what you're saying about yeah. uh, watership down, I would recommend yeah. that. Because I think Richard Adams he did the same. He kind of looked into there's a book called it, Private Life of Rabbits, which is all about the behaviour. So I think the behaviour aspects of them he like put in, so it's quite accurate in terms of that. But then he gave them this whole kind of added layers of their their yeah their traditions and their religions and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. I mean, I'm really intrigued to read that as an adult now, yeah. given what you've said. <laughs> And also it's interesting with some of the things you've touched on, which we'll probably go back to later on, when one of the books that you've, you've chosen is, is what you're currently reading in yeah. terms of our humanities, yeah. you know, and how we deal with the environment and, yeah. and everybody around it. But um, no, it's, a, it's a very interesting choice. <laughs> <coughs> I'm not sure if it's, a, it's an upside or a downside, but once I got your list, Art Garfunkel was singing to me all the time. <laughs> you, know, you can't I get know. a song out of your head. I know, my mum and dad had it on... Seven inch, and we used to listen to it on the record player all the time. Yeah, that's that should be good. Show, show your age there. That black rabbit kind of should be able to explain what it, it's like a seven inch vinyl single is for <laughs> younger listeners. Uh, although vinyl is making a, a it is comeback. making a comeback. Yeah, but does that please you as a as a music? Yeah, lover? oh yeah. There's there's um there's a few things I've kind of 
like I'm a big Travis fan I love Travis and they released I think they released The Man Who and everything on vinyl so I actually did buy that and um, I've still got old records I was really into the Pet Shop Boys when I was younger and I've got the first two or three Pet Shop Boys albums on vinyl that I've had since the 80s so it's yeah it's nice to can I tell you my, <coughs> my Travis not, oh, it's yeah, not a story but uh, <laughs> I was a big fan as well and <laughs> Uh, there was a documentary actually recently I think Paul English did it oh, on BBC yeah, yeah, Scotland yeah, on, I, I think it was at the 20th anniversary yeah, of Mandu. Yeah. brilliant documentary people should listen to it but I remember reading an interview with Fran Healy a few years ago and it may have been either a throwaway line and he, he was always making a virtue of just saying ah, I don't really read many books and when I read it I'm thinking well you're obviously you know you're an artist you're a, you're a songwriter you're writing these lyrics that's not a virtue that's not something to be boasting about and it kind of it did Put me off him a wee bit. I know, I, well, I read that and I thought, what? Yeah, because I know, and he does kind of name check various things in his songs. And I actually gave him a copy of my first book because because Travis meant so much to me. I've been a huge fan of Travis ever since I was about 16 as well. And I first saw them at, at Tea in the Park and they meant a big, a, a huge deal to me. And um, he's got that song slideshow and it's all about how songs can kind of bookmark song. your life yeah, and it's yeah. all like chapters and, and so it kind of resonated with me and Trackman was all about these songs at various points of your life and being chapters in your life and so yeah I'm not a Travis I'm not a Fran Healy stalker but I did <laughs> <laughs> despite what people may tell you but I did I just went, for the record <laughs> I did go and see a film um, when it, there was an album that came out and there was a film to go with it and we went me and my sister went to see the film and he was out he was in the pub afterwards just chatting to people so we went up to speak to him and I gave him a copy of my book because Travis were mentioned in it as well there's a chapter about Travis in it and then afterwards I read that and I was like oh he's not even probably going to read that he's probably just chucked it in the bin when he got home so oh, that's disappointing <laughs> I mean in terms of the, the music you chose for Trackman was that very much the kind of music that you that you loved or, or did it have to relate to the character and the story? It was a bit of both really. I think most of the songs in it are songs that I like myself but I kind of I tried to let it happen organically. I, I didn't want to like force songs into it so I tried to just kind of listen to a lot of music as I was writing it and try and find songs that fitted into it as I was going um, rather than trying to shoehorn songs in just because I liked them um, and, sh- and songs that kind of fitted the, the characters in it as well. Because I wrote a book of short stories that were, it was called As Easy As A Nuclear War and it was based on my obsession with Duran Duran. <laughs> so every, every short story was a Duran Duran song title and that was a real labour of love, to quote a Hugh and Chrysler. <laughs> um, yeah, because you did a reading at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah, were both, yeah, uh, it was at the that, Horse yeah. Pub, which is yeah. sadly no longer open. So, yeah, certainly, <clears throat> we're just plugging each other's books here for, <laughs> for, for this podcast under the, the guise of talking about your other books. <laughs> From a book that you would recommend to anyone, Katrina, it's a, a book that you couldn't be paid to read yeah. again. And actually, given that we're in the middle of this coronavirus oh, no, yeah. outbreak and, and scare, etc., it's quite interesting uh, the, the book you've chosen. Yeah, so it's called The Twelve by Justin Cronin, and it's it's the second in a trilogy about this kind of a bit of virus. They're testing on these these inmates these death row inmates in America testing this virus on them to try I think they're trying to turn them into kind of weapons almost and it all goes wrong and the virus then takes over and spreads and uh, the byproduct is that it turns people into these weird kind of they're not vampires but they're they're like vampires and then there's a group of survivors who then have to to deal with this and so I read the passage which is the first in the trilogy and I loved it and I because I love these I love these kind of post apocalyptic novels as well. Like I yeah. love The Road and The Stand by Stephen King. I really like these books. And the first one 
I just really enjoyed. The characters were all just really personable. I really liked the characters and it had really nice wee phrases in it. There's a thing they always say to each other, all eyes, to try and be careful. And me and my husband adopted it. We always say all eyes, you know, be careful if you're going out all eyes. And so I was really excited when the second one was due to come out. I was like, oh, I need to find out what happens to these guys. And then I went and bought the hardback, which was really expensive. And then started reading it and just thought, oh, my goodness, this is... Oh, I'm just not enjoying this. This is terrible. All these people that I cared about in the first book, I don't care about anymore. It just seemed full of cliches and just, it was over long and just, I just didn't enjoy it at all and um, so disappointed. I think that was part of it as well. I found it really hard to read. I did read it to the end, but I was just kind of skimming it at the end because I was trying to get through it. I take you didn't read the third one? No, then. I didn't even attempt to read the third one and then it just tarnished the first one for me as well because now I'm like, oh, I can't even read the first one now because it's just, yeah. Because I read the first one and again, I, like you, I really loved it and I then gave it to my daughter who read it and then she went on. I'm not sure if she's read the, the third one, which is City of Mirrors, but she definitely read the 12. I'm not what sure if she, she I don't think, it's, it's not necessarily a book she wouldn't recommend, but I think like you, I think from the high of, of the passage, which yeah. was a really good yeah. book, almost as a kind of standalone, yeah. I think she found it, it quite a letdown. I think that's what it was. I think it was just the disappointment and the... Yeah, after such a, a good first book. I'm glad you mentioned The Road because <laughs> yeah. it's one of my favourite books. I read it every now and again and it just, every time it blows me away. And it's one of those books as a writer that you, on the one hand you think, well, there's no way I'm ever going yeah. to be able to produce anything <laughs> as good as that. But also, it's at the highest of high benchmarks, but it's, you think, well, you, you need to keep striving. Yeah. But that's just an incredible book. And I've given so many copies away to people and, as I've said on the podcast, Probably no, I definitely do judge people on the reaction <laughs> to it. Yeah, no, I love the road. Um, somebody actually lent it to me. Somebody at work lent it to me, and I was like, "This is so good." I, I had to go and buy my own copy. I gave right. them it back, and I went and bought my own copy because I was like, "I need to have this on my bookshelf." In some ways, it's just so simple as well. Like the kind of the idea of it, and they don't even have names. It's just man and boy. But then it's just yeah, there's just so much to it. It's really really good. I loved it. Yeah, and I actually liked the film adaptation as well. I see, I've never seen the film either. Sometimes the other way. So <clears> if I see a film, I'll seek out the book. But sometimes if I love a book, then right. I shy away from the film. Yeah, I, I actually I must admit and enjoyed it. I, I knew okay. I was never going to enjoy it as much as the yeah. book, but I still did enjoy it. I would. It's worth watching. I maybe need to go and watch it then. Yeah. yeah. I mentioned right at the start, obviously the, the two novels that you've already published. Are you? Are you? obviously still writing but there's obviously demands of work and family yeah. and stuff are you working on anything just now well I've, I've finished the first draft of a third novel and almost funnily enough it's almost like a, it's not really a post-apocalyptic novel but it's got kind of elements of that in it a little bit because um, I know I don't want to push you too much no, you, I know, you don't, like you don't want to jinx it, it. Yeah, so, well my publisher's got it at the moment so I'm just waiting to see what they think of it but it kind of deals with various things I'm not going to say about the apocalyptic stuff because that's a bit of a twist in it but um, I'm also talking about drugs testing and sport a little bit in it and and touch on that. One of the characters is, is, a, is a drugs tester and goes around people and testing them for kind of banned substances and stuff like that. Just because talking to my sister, her kind of role as an athlete and what she has to go through to, to get tested, it just seemed like such a kind of strange thing. And I wasn't sure if everybody knew like what that involved. Cause she has to nominate an hour out of every single day where she'll be so she says she'll be in her house between six and seven because she knows she's going to be in bed probably between six and seven and just so that they can turn up unannounced and, and do drugs tests on her and right. and if she goes somewhere if she goes to stay at a friend she can't just you know be like oh, i'm just going to stay at your house tonight she's got to let them know she's got to update her thing her whereabouts to let them know where she is just in case they it's come quite intense, yeah so it's yeah. really intense so it just seemed like a really kind of strange thing as well and there's people who actually 
I think most of them are part-time, but they go out and it's their job to kind of go and watch people pee in a pot and <laughs> do all this paperwork and it's then send it the dream, off, I know. And, um, so I wanted to kind of touch on that as it, on it as well. Um, so that's in it, and then it's kind of just about a family dealing with a tragedy and trying to deal with grief, and, and it's got these kind of elements going on in the background. So. I mean, how have you found... Because obviously circumstance you've got a young family and that presents with it different challenges in terms of the demands on you but also time because sometimes obviously as, as people with young kids will know when the kids are down sometimes you just want to put your feet up yeah, and go oh, I've got half an hour rest <laughs> <laughs> but as a writer you're still whether it's you're thinking I should really be using this time to write and is that taking a wee while to balance that it? definitely I think I do feel guilty sometimes just sitting on the couch and you know watching the telly or something because I think I should be doing something more productive with this spare time so the the third novel that I've been writing, I started it just when my daughter was one, so it's taken me that long to kind of get through it. I think I kind of lost my writing mojo a wee bit when she was born, just trying to deal with you now juggling life yeah. and a young daughter, and she was terrible at sleeping. She would just not go to sleep. Like, they're better now. They go down about seven or half seven, so you've got a bit of an, an evening. I think it was only when my son came along, he's three now, that... I suddenly felt, oh, I kind of got it back, my writing kind of mojo, I keep calling it. And I wanted to write, but then I was like, I don't really have the time. And then I was getting really impatient with myself. I was like, I really want to write. And then I was kind of getting grumpy because I was like, I I can't find the time to write. So I was trying to learn to actually be a little bit more kind of easy on myself and not so harsh on myself. And just if I've got half an hour, then use it. Probably something that people don't appreciate, that you do have to set time aside, which is easy if you've got no other demands on you. But as I say, particularly when you've got young children, they're they're obviously the priority. Yeah, definitely. you know, sometimes that's they take up all your energy. Yeah, I think with my second novel, because part of it was set in the Second World War, I did so much research. It was like reading other books about the time, watching films, listening to like music from like the forties and the fifties. I watched, you know, like Carver Name with Pride, all these old black and white movies. It was it was brilliant. I think it was a lot of procrastination before I actually went to start writing the book. But now I'm like I don't have that luxury to do that yeah. sort of research anymore. There are bits of it that I probably could have done for research for the third book. I ended up just watching clips on YouTube. So I actually tried to incorporate that into the book where the character does spend a lot of time just watching these wee snippets of clips on YouTube because that was all I could really afford myself. I could right. sit and watch a whole like movie or something. I just had to watch the clips that I needed to see. We'll, um, we'll, so, uh, yeah. we'll, keep, we'll keep our fingers crossed <laughs> so for that. And yeah. <laughs> know more about it in case we jinx it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We're on to the, the fifth and final question. And that's the last book you read that I'm currently reading. And it was two choices that you, you gave me. Yeah, two choices, which is very unusual for me. I don't usually read two books at, at, at the one time. But for some reason, it just seemed to work with this as well. Um, and I, I started cycling to work recently and it's just, I'm really slow and rubbish at it. So right. I was like, I've been leaving a book at work just to save me having to carry an extra weight in my bag. Um, so that was why I was kind of reading two, because I had one book at work and then I had one book at home. And because one of them is a non-fiction and one of them is a fiction, I seem to be able to juggle them a bit a bit better. So the first one was um, We Are the Weather, Saving the Planet Begins at Breakfast by Jonathan Safran Foer. It's basically all, it's really depressing actually. I think that's another reason why I was reading something else at the same time because it's all just about climate change and how, yeah, the planet is doomed and how nobody's doing anything about it. And um, it's, it's kind of, it's broken into different parts and some of it's a series of essays and some of it's just kind of hard facts about climate change. But yeah, it's quite hard to read. You couldn't read it all in one go, I don't think, because it just depresses me. And he talks about, you know, how in the Second World War and the Blitz everybody turned their lights off for the blackouts and nobody questioned it, they just did it. 
and that didn't win the war but because of that it probably led to us winning the war and it's saying well this is a, a much more serious issue this is the threat of the entire planet and yet we're, we can't even be bothered to like turn our lights off or leave the car at home do you think some of that is that comparison there's an imminent threat a clear and present think, danger yeah, yeah. whereas even for, for people my age it's within a generation that it, it, it could happen, yeah. but it's not my generation. Yeah. So I think there's a, there is probably a complacency there. Yeah, I think so. He talks about that, and he does talk about how it's it's too abstract. It doesn't really mean anything to us because it's so far away, and even the countries for us that it's affecting are so far away. Um, the kind of the Western world is creating most of the problems, but the countries that it's affecting first are so far away that it doesn't mean anything to us. And just talking about, you know, you see this poor polar bear, and you're like, oh, you feel sad for the polar bear, but then you're like, oh, what can I do to save to save it? Nothing yeah. really. So, yeah, he's talking about he, he's got another book, eating animals, where he he talks about trying to become vegan, and this book's a lot about trying to have a plant based diet, and he argues with himself about why he's not doing it and why he's eating burgers when he's trying to save the planet. And there's a whole chapter. It's kind of he has this weird kind of existential argument with himself. It's a bit pretentious that chapter, to be honest. Right. I was like, oh, I'm not sure about this because. I mean, is it, had, is it made you think well, differently about lifestyle, diet, etc., and, and things like yeah, that? Yeah, well, I, I I've been vegetarian since I was 14 or something like that, so. But now I'm like, oh, maybe I should become vegan. But then I also think, well, I am quite selfish because I like cheese and I like yeah. milk and I don't know if I could. And then that's partly about the book. It's like it's about these kind of instant pleasures versus the long term impact that we're having. But I also don't he doesn't really offer any solutions in the book. That's the kind of frustrating thing. He talks about why we're not doing it and what we could be doing and all the impact that it's going to cause. But then he doesn't say this is how you that these are small things that you can do to try and to try and help he doesn't really offer any solutions so it's a wee bit frustrating in that fact yeah. <laughs> leaving it up to you <laughs> yeah. yeah because maybe sometimes I suppose the argument is is that better rather than trying to preach and say yeah, you, well, you must a, do yeah. this that and then sometimes that people react against that yeah I also don't know who he's he's writing this book to try and like convince people as well but I'm not entirely sure who he's going to reach with this book either I don't know I don't think he's maybe going to reach the big audience yeah. he needs to reach especially with the chapter where he's just kind of having an argument with himself because it is just so kind of convoluted and a wee bit pretentious that you're kind of like even I was getting turned off a little bit and I like him as a writer <laughs> so it's just like Because interesting I read a, another a novel recently which again is I'm not sure if it's quite post-apocalyptic it's called The Wall by John Lancaster uh-huh, yeah. and it's basically <clears throat> something's happened some climate catastrophe and effectively Britain has built a wall around the whole of the island in order to, because I think it seems to be obviously sea levels have risen to such a high level that quite a lot of the world is underwater okay. and people are trying to, to migrate to places like Britain, which is obviously still got food, but also still on dry land. And the character, it's like a conscription where they have to spend two years on this wall to basically stop anybody getting in. Okay. And it's, yeah. it's again, it's obviously using the the climate crisis and all the, the imminent warnings is the, is the basis for yeah. for the novel. It's quite it's quite interesting. Yeah, I actually saw that in yeah, Waterstones, I think it was, and I picked it up and looked at it because I thought it looked quite interesting. Yeah. The only thing that, that jarred <laughs> with me, you know how like the books always have a wee blurb, somebody else, you know, from, from some author, this is the greatest book since sliced bread. Yeah. And, and there was a wee quote on the back, it said it's this generation's 1984, which intrigued me as a, as a fan yeah. of 1984. Yeah. But when I read it, it's not this generation's okay. 1984. But it is really... As, as a book on, you know, the potential, what might happen, given, you know, what you're saying just yeah. now, it's, it's, it's quite interesting and yeah. it's quite well written. 
I think as well, I feel like when I read these things, I, I feel almost a bit paralysed into doing anything. I'm like, oh my goodness, it's just so big and so all-encompassing. What can I do to... Yeah, and I almost just have to chuck the book and go away and just not think about it. <laughs> Which is maybe why you're, you're yeah. also reading a fiction book at the yeah, same time. Yeah, I'm reading um, How to Be Both by Ali Smith. I, I don't know what else you can say about Ali Smith that hasn't been said already. She's just brilliant. Um, she's such a good writer. Um, and I think, as a reader, I, I absolutely love her, but as a writer, when a reader, I, like you were saying earlier, I just feel a bit like, oh, there's no way I could ever write like that. And I mm. almost feel a bit disillusioned, I think, when a reader, because she's just so good. So this book, that's there's two sections in it, but I didn't realise until I read about it recently that, that when the book was released, depending on what copy you got, one character could be the first bit you read or one character yeah. could be the second bit. Because Karen bit. Campbell, yeah. who was on the podcast, that's I think that was her book that she would oh, recommend to anyone. Okay. And I think she'd introduced it to her, the book club that she's in, or the, the book group, and that was she was saying that people didn't know until yeah, they got a copy. And it, it was a different perspective on the book, depending on which character you read Yeah, first. well, so my characters had George first. I've only really read George, so she's like a sort of teenage girl. She's dealing with the death of her mother. She's kind of got mental health issues on the back of that. And her, her dad's a bit of an alcoholic, and she's kind of got a little brother. And then it's got flashbacks to passages with her mum. Her mum loved this kind of Renaissance artist, and they go to the galleries and look at these paintings. And it's just it's just so beautifully written, and... She's just so playful with language, and some of it I feel is over my head. I don't feel like she always makes me feel a bit thick when I'm reading her books. <laughs> but I don't think it's in an exclusive way. Like I don't feel like oh I'm I'm too stupid to read this book. But she's just so intelligent that sometimes I'm a bit like oh I need to go and look up that word in the dictionary and see what it means, or I need to read that passage again because I'm not sure it, it quite kind of penetrated my brain the first time I read it. So that section with her it, it was really good, and then the next section was this it's the Renaissance painter who they were talking about in the first section from their point of view so I've just started that section just now it was a little bit harder to get into I think but now I'm kind of halfway through that bit it's flown a lot easier yeah I mean I'm definitely going to have to read this book obviously that's now two guests (laughs) (coughs) that are are speaking so highly of it and yeah no it's really good she's written a series of books just the on the the different seasons have you have you read I've not read any of those yet actually no um they're kind of on my to be read list so yeah She's she's just so good though. I think she's somebody I can't read a lot of at once because I do think she is so good. She just yeah, she does make me feel a bit inadequate as a writer. So. I mean, as a reader, do you have <laughs> an actual list or a pile of books, or is it just something that you just constantly? Because sometimes I have it in my head that I have just maybe in the next four or five books I'm going to read, but then somebody will recommend a book yeah. here, and I think, well, I have to you deviate and you have to read this book or that book, or somebody give you a book and. It's just a never-ending process. Yeah, well, there, there's authors like Ali Smith who I know, you kind of know when you're picking up a book by her that you're going to get something good. Um, but I've also got lists. I've got post-it notes everywhere with titles written on them. I've got notes on my phone with just a list of books that I've heard about. And, yeah, I've got a terrible memory, so I forget it otherwise. So I have to write it down and then right. I go to the library and just look through this wee list and see if I can find any or go to the bookshop. I got book vouchers for my birthday recently, so... They're burning a hole in my pocket yeah. as well. Yeah, and you're still quite obviously quite active within your local library. Then. Yeah, I, I've all, I have all, uh, always gone to my local library. I used it a lot when I was doing the research for the second novel, just all the kind of non-fiction books about the Second World War. I got out, um, but then recently I've been going quite a lot. I've been trying to encourage my daughter. She's in P1 now, and that's one of the things they were saying: get them a library card. So I've been taking her along, and, and yeah. also my son, just trying to just make it a normal thing. Like we don't even have to get books out; we just go and sit in the library, and we read a book, and then we go home, um, and just make it look like mum goes to the library, she comes back with books, and then she takes them back. And it's just a normal everyday thing that you do. So, and yeah. I think people don't realise as well. 
as writers that every time somebody takes your book out of the library, mm. the 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 author I can't remember it's it's, it's pennies in the pound, yeah, but it's actually yeah. it's still earnings for for writers. So it's obviously it's a free service for the people who are using it, but obviously yeah. it's beneficial for writers as well. Yeah, no, it's that's really exciting every year when you get your wee statement, and mine is always like really small amounts, but. You know, there's people who get like hundreds and hundreds of pounds, like yeah. your Ian Rankins and all that sort of thing. But I'm always like, oh, that's amazing! I got like five pounds. That means so many people <laughs> take my book out the library. Just nice to know that people. <laughs> yeah, it's just... really nice that people have taken it out. Yeah, and yeah. no matter how small it is, I just think it's encouraging that yeah, people are getting your book at the library. And because you know, just picking it off the shelf, like what made you pick that out of all the other ones that are there? What made you choose that one? So yeah, it's nice. Have you ever have you ever been in a bookshop or a library or a charity shop where you've seen somebody with a copy of your book? No, I've, I've not personally, but someone, one of my friends saw someone on a train reading Trackman and they were apparently saying to their friend that it was good, so she had texted me to say that and I was like, oh, that's good to know. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that, it's things like that, I yeah. think, that always give you a wee boost because although writing's obviously a passion, it's something you want to do, there are periods where you maybe get bogged down in the story and you think, I'm never going to get to yeah. this and I don't know what I'm... And then when you hear something like that, you think, well, I've obviously done it before and I've done something right, yeah. so... I know, well, yeah, that's the thing. I think uh, every novel's different as well, I think, as well. Um, I remember Alan Bissett saying something, you've written one novel, so everybody expects you to be able to write a second one, but every novel you write is completely different from the last one, so you have to almost learn again how to write it, because yeah. it's a, a new challenge and a new story. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good thought to hold on to as a writer, actually. And as a reader, do you are you still scribbling notes in the margins of your books? Well, I, I try not to write on my books <laughs> as much anymore. I think it was more maybe a, a teenage thing. Um, yeah. Definitely can't do it on library books. Um, Absolutely but not. I sometimes, yeah, I, I tend to write things out now, like lines that I like, yeah. Well, sadly, we've come to the end <laughs> of this podcast, um, but it's been a real pleasure talking no, to you, Oh, it's Katrina. been great, thank you. And if anybody wants to know any of the books that Katrina has uh, chosen, you can go onto my website, www.paulcuddehay.com. Each of the guests have their own page, and I've just put up the, the different selections of, of the books. And obviously, we, we wish you good luck for the next novel. Thank we look you. forward at some point <laughs> to seeing that coming Yeah, hopefully. Out. Fingers crossed, yeah. But thanks for now. No, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Read All About It podcast, and I'd love to hear what you thought about it. You can get in touch via Twitter at ReadAllAbout20, on Instagram at ReadAllAboutItPodcast, or you can send an email to ReadAllAboutIt at PaulCuddehy.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. If you haven't enjoyed it, say nothing to anybody. But I do hope you can join me, Paul Cuddehy, next time on the Read All About It podcast. And in the meantime, keep reading. Keep reading.